Before we start today's podcast, a quick heads up on Sheerlux's VIP club. From restaurants, bars and hotels to beauty, wellness and shopping, Sheerlux partners with some of London's best destinations and hottest brands to bring its VIPs exclusive monthly offers. So why not sign up? It'll cost you just £5 a month or £50 for the year. Use your card once or twice and you'll have made that amount back in no time. For more information, visit sheerluxvip.com. Welcome to the Sheerlux Highlights podcast with me, Charlotte Collins. This week, I'm joined by Lou Half, Rosie Charrington, and Pascal Day for your first podcast. I know, it's crazy. Welcome. <laughs> well, we always start the podcast by talking about what we've been watching this week. I've been watching a lot of Wimbledon. This weekend, it was obviously the semi-finals on Friday night, and it went on so long, they had to cut play at 11 o'clock, so it was also on Saturday. So they had three back-to-back days of playing, and I was completely hooked. I found it's so interesting. Tennis is definitely the sport that I enjoy watching the most. Are you always hooked every year? Yeah, I get really into it. I think as soon as I feel like I'm really supporting someone, I'm up every shot that they're doing and screaming at the TV and stuff. And do you watch just Wimbledon or do you watch the other? No, I only watch Wimbledon. I don't watch anything else. But I do that and then my boyfriend gets really angry at me because he thinks I'm such like fair weather supporter and like (laughs) I have no right to contribute on any views whatsoever about sports when you only watch one thing. Yeah, I mean I completely agree. I don't have (laughs) any. Anything else to add, but I find it incredibly entertaining and I really enjoy it, so why not? I haven't watched a single tennis match this year. I am a terrible excuse for a British person. Well, I do think if Andy Murray is in the competition, if you've got somebody British to get behind, I think that's true, yeah. Well, there was though, Edmund. He was somebody who's going to win. No offense. (laughs) Sorry, Edmund. Go ahead. Like, Serena was so sweet though. Like, I hadn't watched any of it, but I watched Serena like shedding a few tears and like talking about her baby. And I was like, I haven't even seen you, but it's making me tear up. Yeah, oh, like so sweet. When Djokovic won on Sunday, his speech was that his son had come to watch him for the first time, and it yeah. was so extra oh. emotional for him. And it's yeah. nice. I feel like it is a sport in particular where you get to see the human side of yeah, the athletes. Definitely, yeah. it's much more about their personalities as well. Although Djokovic did also throw a few tantrums on his head. What did he do? He smashed his record. No, he was just kind of the way that he was engaging with the audience and stuff. There's obviously a way to get the audience behind you. I did feel from a bit, I think everyone was behind Nadal the previous day, and then they were kind of trying to support Anderson in the final. I'm surprised about that. I feel like Djokovic is like, everybody loves him. I don't think so. Maybe people who genuinely know what they're talking about know not to support him. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I really like him. On a non-sporting note, I finally watched The Greatest Showman on Saturday night. <gasps> what do you think? Oh, it is so brilliant. I mean, I'm not going to lie, the story is so flawed. I just had so many things to say about what was going on. But the songs are amazing. The dancing's are amazing. Zac Efron's great. Hugh Jackman's great. Mm. I so wanted to hate it. Because yeah. like, I <laughs> normally don't like those kind of things. And I feel like it treads on on Rouge's toes a little bit yeah like, oh my god the songs just yeah. yeah rewind them it just it really uplifted me I felt so happy afterwards my boyfriend my mum and I were all like dancing around the living room afterwards it was <laughs> such a weird scene but it's so good and I just love it when they make films like that that generally you can't watch it and not have a smile on your face mm. I really feel like Zac Efron's like back doing what he should be doing yeah. there. you know it's back to his high school musical days he tried to be a bit more of a like yeah. I don't know comedy actor yeah. or whatever but this is like these are his strengths and he no, should no it was that. so good I then watched all the behind the scenes videos which oh, I love watching good. those so good so yeah to anyone that hasn't watched it still highly recommend it just been watching Love Island but I'm kind of tiring of it now yeah. I feel like the end is in sight and they're really clutching at straws I feel like it's also very fake 
It's so I feel like bad. everyone said that, mm. like all of those things. What do you like, mean? Boring. As in, everything feels staged? I think it's quite staged. And I think this year, because there's so much tension after how popular last year was, the people seem so self aware. And I feel like they're giving the game away a bit of how much it's staged. Yeah, I agree. And apparently, we're missing a lot of content as well. People are using the hideaway and it's not being shown. And that kind of thing. I feel like they're not showing as much sex as they have. Oh my God, no. I wish you could mute contestants. I would like to mute Georgia. Georgia needs to Oh my it's God. Just stop saying loyal they shouldn't have told her that I it was feel a like thing. I have no idea what any of you are talking about <laughs> yeah, are you not like, watching it no I've never watched it you know what you've probably done quite well this year actually yeah because I'm now kind of watching it out of obligation I know and, yeah. you, and yeah, now you can't respond you're like oh alright yeah but I'm not enjoying it what do you think of the new people that come in I know four new ones I just feel like they could have done a bit better like at this point if you bring in new people they really have to shake things up yeah but also Alexandra going in with Alex like fake. it's the fakest thing fake, I've ever fake, seen fake. obviously you're going to go straight for Alex oh apparently the reason he went on the show because everyone was like how can he go yeah. back and work for the NHS apparently his goal is to set up his own private cosmetic surgery business he's already got <gasps> villa full of clients genius. yeah yes. so like I think he's going to do pretty well yes that is yeah. genius genius that's going to be watching anything I've been watching Westworld but to be honest like it's just too complicated for me and I love looking at my phone when I'm watching TV and I'll look at it for literally like a minute and I'll look up and I'll be like I don't know what's going on anymore <laughs> that's why I can watch Narcos <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'd be asking my boyfriend, like, what's just happened? He's like, I'm not telling you. He's like, you either watch it or you look at your phone. But it's got a real cult following, Westworld, hasn't it? What the is it actually about? The first series was so good. It's like... Robot, Wild Yeah, West. it's like a theme, theme park. park right? And they're all robots and basically, like... What? Just loads of men go down there and they can, like, have sex with the robots or kill them. It's like some weird, like, they get to... And it's like the Wild Wild West? Yeah. With yeah. robots. Well, see, I... I mean, you can't... You completely love like, it. <laughs> it's completely... You don't look like robots. I never watched it because I thought it was actually set in the Wild Wild West so I don't care and then I read a review I think it was Heather Mm. that wrote a review about it and it really sold it to me because it's set in the future not the past yeah it's like all the things I hate about TV shows but when you bring them all together it just works it works works. so is this a Wild West themed park yeah Yeah. so it's not like set in the Wild West it's just a themed theme park yeah so there is the outside world that's just like our normal world right and this is just a theme park Sandy Newton's in it yeah she's like the head of like all the prostitutes I think but they're robots they're robots are you confused yeah. yet because everyone in here is <laughs> confused but if you want to watch Westworld it is on Sky Atlantic and how many series are there to catch up with there's two okay. so the second one I think has just finished I was on a plane this weekend and I watched Love, Simon which <gasps> have you seen that good? no I really want to it is so good so for those who don't know it's basically a teen movie it's like a high school American movie but not in like a cringe awful way in a more modern way and it's basically about a teenage boy who's gay and it's about his coming out process and it's so good for so many reasons and it kind of ticks the teen genre category box so you know if you loved all of that when you were younger then great you're still going to really love it but also you know so much of the reason it's been really popular and successful is because traditionally queer characters in films and tv shows aren't the main character and don't get that kind of light shone upon their stories and also on top of that it's a romance as well it's not just his whole like torturous coming out process it's quirky and funny and it's got a happy ending and it's just a really lovely modern story and what age is he coming out he's 17 so basically there's a chat forum within his high school and somebody posting it anonymously saying that they're gay and they don't know how to come out and he builds a relationship online with this person neither of whom know each other's identities and it's about that process and kind of the things that happen along that way 
Did you feel like it was quite true? Like that could actually happen kind of thing? It kind of ekes into fantasy a little bit at moments. There are some things that are kind of overly dramatised, but actually all the ways in which it deals with his coming out felt really authentic and truthful and not kind of overly hurt. I think it's a movie that could have really easily gone wrong or not hit the right notes, but actually it's really sensitive. And I know a lot of the reception has been, oh my God, if yet had this movie existed when I was younger, it would have made my coming out process so much easier. Is his character quite camp? Not at all. So that's the thing. He basically starts by saying, I'm this totally normal boy. I've got this really ordinary life. Totally past the straight. And that's the point. There's actually another character, a person that he goes to school with. He reminded me of Jay from America's Next Top Model. He's like that character. And I think he's there as a kind of benchmark for like comparison. No, he's not super camp. He's by all intents and purposes a straight teenage boy, but actually with a secret. And that's kind of how he builds himself. So highly, highly recommend that. Well, that's a movie that got it really right. But Scarlett Johansson has just pulled out of a film that could have got it really wrong. She was signed on to play a trans man in a new film, Rub and Tug, but that casting was met with pretty intense backlash and has led to her withdrawing from playing the role. Now, Pascal, what was the backlash all about? Basically, she's obviously not a trans man and a lot of people think that trans characters should be played by trans actors and that's not Scarlett Johansson. And she released a statement via Bustle and said, tell them that they could be directed to Jeffrey Tambor, Jared Leto and Felicity Huffman's rep for comments. And that's because all three of those actors have played trans people in films in the past. And that's not the point. You agree that the casting was Yeah, she should have learnt from when she was in Ghost in the Shell that you can't play minority characters as a straight white woman if that's not you. Is that true though, Rosie? I mean, I think obviously those other actors as mentioned, I think they won Oscars. Well, they were nominated. So, Tambor won an Emmy for his role in Transparent, Huffman was nominated for an Oscar for her role in Trans America, and Leto won the Oscar for playing a trans woman in the Dallas Buyers Club. Obviously, since then, times have moved on a lot, trans people have a lot more visibility, they have a lot more voice. People are basically saying for trans actors, it's just a no-win situation. You know, they don't have a lot of visibility as it is. And then when they do, cisgender actors are cast in their roles and they don't really have a chance to tell their own story. It's a conversation that's been had across lots of different roles, kind of roles across the entire LGBTQ plus community and also with able-bodied people playing disabled actors. Is that fair? You know, you're not giving these people a chance really and you're telling their stories through someone else and I think a lot of people are quite rightly quite mad about that when there are lots of -of out-of-work actors that aren't being given these chances. Well, writer Meredith Tallison agrees with you. She says that as long as we live in a society where trans people see a fraction of the opportunities afforded to cis people, that's cisgender people, aka non-trans, it will continue to be deeply unjust when cis actors steal parts from trans talent. I hear what you're saying, to play devil's advocate, is acting not about adopting roles that you are otherwise not? I agree with Charlotte. I completely understand both sides of the story, but in the same way, actors play roles and they haven't necessarily experienced what they're going through in their role. You know, they challenge themselves and they put themselves in those situations. So it would almost be strange to think that every actor has lived the life that 
they are portraying. Mm -hmm. I completely understand that there's an opportunity for people who have gone through it to step up, but in the same vein, shouldn't the best actor play the part? I know somebody who's an actor and he made a status on Facebook asking other people what they thought about this because he was of that opinion. And, you know, he got a lot of support from the acting community with people saying things like, you know, if you go and play a murderer, that doesn't mean you need to go out and have had that experience yourself. I completely hear that. I think that the issue is more representation of trans people in films than it is about them playing themselves and that should really be differentiated like Scarlett Johansson obviously you know that was a really inflammatory statement that she put out I actually think that her being cast in that role is fine in the same way that it's fine for you know people to play anybody else outside of their lived experience but it's not okay that transgender people are not more represented just as actors generally you know there are so many great examples of transgender actors playing transgender people but actually I don't think that helps the cause if you're pigeonholed pigeonholed all the time and I doubt that's necessarily how they also want to be perceived to be typecast every time there's a trans oh Mm. I'll play that trans like surely they want to be playing other characters as well exactly like a Laverne Cox for example who's in Orange is the New Black like she's been an amazing advocate for transgender actors and her character has been massively delved into there as a transgender person but I agree surely as somebody who identifies as a woman she's a woman doesn't she just want to play roles that are women and not just transgender people yeah I think the change definitely has to come more from like further up the writer's they have to be trans people. If you're writing a trans story, the writer of the story yeah, has definitely. to be trans. They have to understand. There was a tweet from Trace Lysette saying, not only do you play us and steal our narrative and our opportunity, but you pat yourselves on the back with trophies and accolades for mimicking what we have lived. So I think that's so right when you're writing it to have gone through that and really understand that process. Otherwise, how can you tell that story? Mm. Yeah, definitely. But I don't think that actors... The whole point of acting is to adopt somebody else's life story, isn't yeah. it? I don't think you have to have lived that yourself. Yeah. Trans people just need to be in Hollywood more. Maybe not necessarily as trans people, but they just need that visibility mm-hmm. and someone's got to give it to them. I definitely think that there are some cases where you should be playing lived-in experiences only in the case of obviously playing someone of a different race like Scarlett Johansson or even that film, what was it, with Matt Damon in? The Great Wall. That was a huge was backlash bad. around that. And Emma Stone was in that movie about Hawaii as well, playing a Hawaiian yeah. person. Oh, yeah. She's like paler than me. Anyway. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of whitewashing in Hollywood and I think it is crazy that a lot of people are written out of their own stories. Mm-hmm. And I do understand you know there's a pull of like having a huge name attached to a project and obviously Scarlett Johansson in this would have brought in a way I mean decider writer Joe Reed who himself identifies as gay he said well in a representational desert having LGBTQ plus characters are at least something because they didn't even used to be given lead Mm -hmm. roles so I think some people are in two minds about it really I mean having people in these roles playing lead characters is great but I think we're just not quite there yet Apparently we stop discovering new music after the age of 30. As we get older, we like to think about the good old days. We miss old TV shows, fashion fads, and apparently new music as well. Brits stop listening to new music by the time they reach their 30s. A study which interviewed a thousand Britons about their musical preferences found 60% of people were in a musical rut, listening to the same songs over and over rather than finding new music. Lou, I feel like you are the exception to this rule. Yeah, so we spoke about this on the show the other week, and I'm not sure I agree. I 
definitely agree that when I find a song I like or an album I like or a band I like, I listen to it non-stop on repeat and then start to absolutely hate it. But whenever I'm watching a film and I think there's a really good soundtrack or often an advert in TV, I'll always get Shazam out and find out who that artist is and then download them their album. So I am quite open to new music. I wouldn't say I seek it out, but I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm not going to listen to that because it's something I didn't used to listen to previously. I think I'm the same. I actually saw a meme yesterday of Paris Hilton furiously making out with Derek Whibley back in the noughties <laughs> with the caption, oh me and listening to the same song repeat for three days. <laughs> like, I just listen to the same songs over and over again on a playlist on Spotify and add, like, one new one every month. And I'm the same, though. Like, one of the reasons they said that people didn't find new music was not having the time. Yeah. I just don't have the time to sit and listen to song after song trying to find something I like. But when I do hear something on a TV yeah. show, I'm straight on there. Add it to my playlist. Yeah. I'm also not that good with music. So a few of my friends are really into music. And so I will often send them a message and say, guys, I'm stuck in a musical rut. Can you send me a playlist? And a great friend who lives in America, she has got such a great ear. And so she'll send me Spotify playlists for like different moods and stuff. And I'm like, amazing. Oh my god! Open me up to new artists and new songs, and it's great. I feel like I have like a pretty even mix. I always make a new playlist every month and put new music in it. But I do have like this one playlist I made for a barbecue once, and I just love listening to it. It's just all (laughs) old songs. And you say you you create a new one every month. Where do you get then those artists from? Like where have those songs come from? Are they old? So like they do a new release playlist every week. I'll just sit at my desk and listen to it, and then if I like something I hear, I just add it to my playlist. But I get bored of new songs so quickly, whereas old songs from like when I was 14, I could just listen to over and over again. Well, it's interesting you say that because actually, apparently, there is a kind of neurological science behind that. Apparently, our brains rapidly develop between the ages of 12 and 22. So the music that we love during that decade is what kind of gets wired into our brains for good. A writer, Mark Stern, notes that when we make neural connections to a song, we also create a strong memory trace that becomes laden with heightened emotion, thanks partly to a surface of pubertal growth hormones. So there is a bit of scientific... I definitely agree with that. There are so many songs I think of my childhood and I can remember exactly what I was doing at the time. Like, we built this city. I remember when we got our (laughs) AS level results, we were driving in a car down to the beach and we were pumping that out of the car. People were like hanging out the roof and the windows and stuff. And every time I hear that song, I'm taken back to that exact moment. Did you grow up in an American teen movie? (laughs) (laughs) I think that is really funny that also that those nostalgic moments are then less likely to happen as you get older. That makes me really sad. Songs of each summer, for example, completely are no longer relevant. What is your song of the summer so far this year? Do you have one? Oh my god. No, I don't think so. Well, I just got back from Israel who won the Eurovision Song Contest this year with that song. I don't know if you guys have heard it, I'll send it around afterwards. A song called Toy by an artist called Netta and it's I mean it's ridiculous but it's like a proper summer anthem and it was playing in every club like over <laughs> and over again Israelis are like why are you playing this dreadful Eurovision song but us as Brits we're like yes bring it on I feel like that One Kiss song by yes. Julie but that's been every- yeah. I don't like it but know? it has been everywhere because it was number one for like 20 weeks still in the charts in yeah. top 10 well, I tend to be... I'm a bit stuck in a past that was before mine, even. Like, I grew up with parents who thought that new music was 
the worst thing that had ever happened to like humanity. So I listened to a lot of stuff that was long before my time, like 70s and 80s music. And I still love all the music from my teens and my early 20s, but I actually can see a time where I would drop off from listening to new music. Even sometimes I put the radio on, I'm like, this is noise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe that is just an age thing. I remember defending Steps in F Club 7 like, to my death. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, so and um, I have a feeling they might have been right. Also, Pascal, you wrote this piece and it says that figures reveal that BBC Radio 1 had taken a big hit in the amount of listeners tuning out and that the audience fell 3.2% in the last three months of 2016 and that even a fifth of Grimmy's Breakfast Show have stopped listening. He's lost half a million listeners in 2016 alone. Wow. I know, which sounds really drastic, but then actually there was an interview with Nick Grimshaw in the Sunday Times magazine this weekend mm. and he was making the point that those stats are based on like actual genuine like radio data and he was like the idea that teens would have a radio is absolutely laughable so I think we need to maybe reevaluate the way in which we're consuming music as well I think it's very true and I think it's not him I think people feel <laughs> like it's him that everyone's tuning out from but I think you do, poor Nick poor yeah Nick. but just I you, just, you listen radio. to podcasts and you just listen to other stuff like, exactly just don't I always listen. listen to radio I love it I do actually I, always because you get, to <laughs> yeah because you get a much more varied selection of music do you I have a radio on my phone no, it comes on us so it's so, all digital yeah it's all yeah. digital what radio stations do you listen to radio 1 oh, you know what I hate about radio 1 is how many people they have calling in oh my yeah. god I just don't want to listen I to like, some stranger's opinion about something no. and that news thing as well where it's like a dumbed down version of what's actually going on in the world yeah. I can't handle that either do you listen to the radio really? I can't deal with the adverts makes me shoot myself mm-hmm. oh well that's the benefit of Radio 1 at least yeah are there no adverts no it's BBC oh yeah they replace the adverts with more annoying people though oh like, <laughs> members of the public that's worse yeah local worse. radio stations are really terrible oh yeah. god yeah last time I was stuck in Devon there was a woman talking about her breed of dog for like 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> I used to love LBC like really really love it and like listen to it all the time isn't that like so argumentative well now it is yeah, now it's Nigel Farage and Katie Hopkins signed up. I was like, okay, oh, see no. ya. Ugh. Yeah, not for me. I also like a bit of Radio 4 as well. I downloaded all their comedy podcasts and like Design and Discs. Yeah. Those are great. Oh, I do there. like Design Discs. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it's true. From radios to phones, separation anxiety used to be a phrase used to describe how parents felt leaving their children for the weekend. But now it's being used more to describe the feeling we get when we're separated from our phones coined nomophobia that's short for no mobile phobia it's the 21st century anxiety that says teenagers teenagers I don't know about that and adults are like am I the only one here who definitely suffers from this I have it so bad I feel like I've lost a limb if I go out without my phone like I'll go to check it mm. and I can't do it or when my phone dies that's kind of bad I've noticed a really really bad thing recently only in the last few weeks where I'll be on my phone I'll be scrolling through Instagram and I'll go to find my phone to scroll through <laughs> yes. Instagram yeah oh I think God. it's because I've become so desensitised to doing it like I so don't even realise that I'm scrolling that I'm then like right I want to go and do that even though I'm already doing it that's scary isn't it yeah um, I did that this weekend too I was I like oh something. my God where's my phone it's just in my hand yeah because it's, it's always in my hand it's so bad like when I was as I said I was on a plane this weekend and about three hours in I was really itching for just like a, I don't know an Instagram refresh or a daily mail update like it's really really addictive and is that what you're doing mainly Instagram and news feeds yeah like 100% of my phone usage is WhatsApp and Instagram and you have done a few weekends when you, you cut did. yourself off I did earlier in the year and I didn't find it that hard yeah. I don't know I never felt like it's a problem which is why I didn't find that weekend that beneficial yeah. I just felt a bit like well I was kind of bored without Instagram yeah. but now I 
I don't know, that thing the other day really spooked me. Strange. Yeah, really strange. Do you remember back in the day when you used to not take your phone on holiday? And I remember turning it off, like leaving the car, and you come back after a week and be like, oh my God, I'm going to have floods of messages <laughs> coming through when I turn this back on. And it would be nothing. Or you'd lose your phone, and so you'd call it from someone else's, and then you'd find it and be like, oh, I've got seven missed calls. <laughs> and they're from yourself me, yeah. trying to find them. And then you come back to me and you're like, oh, nothing's changed in this mm. time when I've been away from my phone. Like, why did I even care? That's exactly what I found after that detox. I went back on and I was like, I have missed nothing. But at the same time, it's not that I miss anything earth shattering, but yeah. I like those constant updates and, and seeing what people are up to. Well, I quite like going out without my phone, like on the weekends. If I'm kind of with the person that would need to be contacting mm. me, then I quite like just leaving it and not having it as a distraction because I think there's so many times when you do just pick it up for no reason and then spend a few minutes scrolling something which you didn't need to do and you could have had a conversation with someone or been reading something or looking at something so I find it quite refreshing not having it I always feel like when one person checks their phone as well I'll just check it Mm. so if I go out without my phone whoever I'm with I'm like, can you leave your phone too? Yeah. So, because otherwise they'll check it. I'm just standing there like. And there's nothing worse when you look around a group of friends and everyone's on their phone. You're mm. like, it's what bad. are we doing? Yeah. Or in the family, and everyone's kind of the TV's on and people are on yeah. their phones. Like, what That's are we my worst doing? Thing, just watching TV and then looking at my phone. I'm like, I'm already doing one activity. Why am I doing yeah. this as well? Like, nothing's happening, and I'm missing what's happening on the television. It's just too much. I know. But, but maybe I'm like completely paranoid, but I'm always just worried that what if somebody needs to contact me? Like, God forbid something happens to somebody. That happened to and me the other day. Did it? Yeah. What was your name for phone? Well, it wasn't that bad because someone couldn't get into a festival. But like the one time <laughs> I didn't have my phone on me, I come back and it's like 10 bajillion yeah. messages being like, Rosie, like, we need your help. But I was like, oh my God, no. Yeah. But did they actually need your they help? They actually like, did. And they were just waiting outside a festival. Whoops. Also, I noticed something really disturbing. Do you want to see my Instagram thumb? Because it's going to freak you out. Maybe yeah. this is also because I only text using one thumb. Yeah. Like, I don't use both Maybe hands. Too. But look at my strong thumb and then my regular thumb. For those that can't look, see, one of Rosie's thumbs looks normal and the other one's kind of got <laughs> a big muscle like indented. It's like a hench thumb. <laughs> I think you need to put this on Instagram so that listeners it's, can see what we're so talking guys, about. I don't have that, Rosie. This is no. what could happen to you. if. Okay, you're a cautionary tale. I am. Well, I need to start just using the other And do you only you use your thumb? I only use my thumb I, to I, do anything on a phone. Like, I don't, I don't know, I need to stop. I know, I'm the same. Yeah, so you don't I'm scroll with your finger? No, I scroll yeah, with I my do. thumb. Oh, yeah, yeah, I scroll with my thumb. Pascal, nomophobia? Yeah, it's a thing. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've actually got a tip. You know, you can check on your phone the extent to which you're using Instagram, like the percentage or the amount of hours that you're sitting on Instagram. I suggest if you need a bit of time out, looking at that will be the shock you need to put down your phone. It's terrifying. It's mm. terrifying. Another thing is if you spend a lot of time on Instagram, go look at how many people you follow and then unfollow so many of them because there'll be so many people that maybe you followed when you first got Instagram or like brands or if you're going to a restaurant or on holiday and then you follow it momentarily and then whatever so I think that's also really good to have an Instagram curl well we're coming at this from the perspective of four Instagram addicts but I think we all know that what we see on our feed isn't necessarily the whole truth it's a filtered reality where everything is engineered to be top bait but just when we thought we could tell fact from fiction along came Lil Michaela a world-famous social media influencer who's not actually real. So she is the CGI creation of a tech company 
and now she has 1.2 million Instagram followers. She loves Beyonce, supports Black Lives Matter, and has even hung out with Niall Rogers. This freaked me out when I first saw it. <laughs> I didn't understand how they'd done it. I mean, they're very good at CGI. Mm. She was like in restaurants, like this is a restaurant bar in LA where everyone gets like an Instagram photo in front of this kind of like wall. And they had like put her there and everyone was like, wait, like what? Have they photoshopped this fake CGI face yeah. onto a real person's body? Like no one could work out what it is. I think maybe because she's the first of her kind, it's kind of a gimmick. Mm -hmm. But I don't really think it's going to translate long term. And who is following these types of accounts? Is it people who are obsessed with, like, gaming? And that's No, I think it's the opposite. I think it's people, you know, she went viral after she wore Fenty Beauty and Fenty retweeted that image, so that's how she blew up. And she's now had deals with Pat McGrath and Burberry and Chanel, and I think it's people who kind of tend to consume their cultural content via influencers. It's just another way of consuming that, right? Yeah, as I said, I think it's just a novelty factor with this one, as this piece says, how can you see how clothes are going to fit when it's not real? How can you see what makeup looks like on oh. a CGI person? It's just all that crap. And in an influencer market, which is already so saturated, adding this whole other realm of Instagram stars is crazy. Okay, so flip side, when it is really saturated market, are you then kind of cutting to the chase a bit? If you can create somebody who's going to tick all the boxes, so rather than having to follow loads of different people for loads of different content, if you can create a really targeted individual, then is that not better, Pascal? No, I just think it's stupid. Like, I don't understand it. And also, Shudu and Lil Michaela, they're both, you know, these really trendy women, but they're both made by men. Oh, yeah. So Shudu is, is another influencer. is the first ever digital supermodel. Self-professed. Self-professed, <laughs> Has 130,000 followers. And I feel like Shudu actually <laughs> looks really real. And, she, you know, it's a similar thing. Like, she wears all the Fenty makeup and stuff. And I guess Lil Michaela has this kind of, like, lifestyle element her but I'm like yours just run by a load of like bros so this in Silicon Valley. Is, this is what I hate and the guy that helped create Lil Michaela wrote online responding to the backlash saying how many Instagram models have got surgically enhanced at a selling thing it's the same thing isn't it it's not real it's like get in the bin I'm sorry. Okay but what if you've got an influencer who's got several million followers and they have an entire team behind them you know they have a creative agency and they have you know mass brand sponsorship and actually what they're putting out isn't that real either. It's all been highly edited, curated, you know, paid for. How's that different? So oh, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Stony silence. Sorry. <gasps> they're, they're oh, good question. They're still a person. They, they have stuff feels and... Yeah, and they're still wearing it. I and mean, yeah, how can you tell what it looks like on CGI? Yeah, mm. I think it's completely ridiculous. I think I'm so bored of Instagram, to be honest. I love stories because I feel like you can actually have fun on there again. It reminds me of how Instagram used to be when you could just post whatever mm -hmm. and not think about it. But since all the algorithms and everything, it's like, unless you post something kind of good and it's there in your feed and mm -hmm. employers look at it, it's just, I feel like it has to be so curated. And I'm just so bored at looking about on people's posts, really. Yeah, because you know nothing's real. Yeah. Mm. But stories, I feel like people, having more fun with them they're being a bit more spontaneous and that's the kind of side that Instagram used to have mm -hmm. I kind of want it back bring it back well let's hope that CGI influencers will not be storying anytime soon oh and taking gosh. it away from that oh. well you guys all like a bit of reality so how's this one for you how to get better at small talk whether you're at a party or on a date or simply chatting to a sales assistant the ability to engage in small talk 
is apparently a given, but we're not all that good at it. Do any of you think you're good at it? I'm definitely not good at it. Why? Oh, I just get so in my head about it. I get too nervous. And then I just say something really weird and then no one wants to talk to me anyway. Do you get nervous in advance of social situations or yeah, just at the moment? both. Mm. I think I'm quite a shy person. So I'm like, sometimes I'm like, go over to this person, I'm going to say this. And then it just comes out all weird and wrong. And like, I just have to walk away. <laughs> Lou? I'm completely the same. I don't think I'm very good. No. But we've spoken about this in the past and we're saying having something to talk about that's not about either of you is always quite good so like when Love Island's on when the World Cup is on like when Wimbledon's on when the crown was on everyone it's kind of a cultural phenomenon that everyone's got yeah everyone's got an opinion on whether they've watched it or not they've kind of heard it being circulated so that's often I think quite a good icebreaker if you're not quite sure to maybe warm yourself up and kind of understand someone's character a bit more Mm. rather than kind of going into you know what do you do I just hate those type of questions you feel like you're being judged immediately on your job or where you're from or anything like that and it kind of really makes me feel a bit kind of stiff and I feel like I'm not going to portray myself the way that I feel like I should be and especially when when the person you're trying to talk to doesn't give you anything bad oh it's so hard but then they're bad at small talk yeah that's what that means Yeah, Rose you just said the weather but I actually think the weather's a really good gateway for conversation it actually is but it's such a cliche isn't it but if you're like a party you're not going to go up to somebody and be like so do you watch Queer Eye like who you haven't met you can (laughs) go up to somebody and be like wow it's hot isn't it but you notice yourself doing it same with commuting I hate it when I realise I'm talking about my commute and I'm like okay I'm one of those people but it does spark conversation definitely also it's quite it's an easy thing to kind of be self-deprecating about isn't it there was a tip in the piece that we wrote about it called ARE which is anchor reveal and encourage and it says that you should first anchor the conversation with a comment that establishes common ground and then you reveal something about yourself and this says like the fact that you had completely misplaced your shoes that morning I tend to use that as a defence mechanism so like listen to how stupid I am or listen to this terrible thing that happened to me because that kind of humanises you as well the last thing you want to do is go in and sound like you're showing off about something whether it's a job or you know whatever it may be so actually I think kind of playing yourself down a bit always helps too it's good one of my friends gave me the best tip ever before a first date like that first minute when you meet them she was like always always have a funny story about your journey to meet them even if it happened on another journey Mm -hmm. just have a story like oh this ridiculous thing happened whatever and I've done that every time and it's worked so well it just makes the conversation go straight into something personal without the kind of really awkward formal Mm-hmm. at the beginning like what kind of thing yeah I'm just thinking give us some tips I mean, no, like that you have well, like buried in somebody's armpit or oh, the yeah. tube or something a man fell asleep on me once on the bar that's a really so, good one so, or like you saw women some cleaning, people having a fight so women cleaning her ears that's revolting I it happened wow. true story I think so something like that it breaks the ice it does doesn't it? where does small talk end and real talk begin <gasps> what a question I know. So <laughs> I feel like small talk is just kind of it fills a place and I don't really feel like there's much meaning behind it it's kind of you do it before something's about to happen you go to an event and lots of people are there and you know why are you here where are you from what are you doing blah 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 and it's kind of well like have you been on any summer holidays yeah like things like that I don't really feel like anyone's really that engaged with the conversation I think then when it gets engaging that's when it turns into a proper conversation small talk is a way to kind of establish it's a way of like weeding out people that you would or wouldn't have a good conversation with so Mm. if I think about people that you meet through work you can probably tell within 10 minutes of having that small talk whether there's more to come from that and whether you have stuff in common so it's kind of like the first step in a burgeoning friendship relationship well my favourite tip from this piece was to lose the fear and it says remember small talk simply means a pleasant conversation a little chit chat and getting to know someone better it needn't be onerous or daunting I think nobody says like oh yeah actually I'm really good at small talk and I really feel comfortable in 
social situations where I don't know people. So I think just knowing that everybody's in the same boat is quite comforting. Yeah, I like this one. Try the fascinating approach. Just that I'd maybe pick a different word because I would sound a bit sarcastic because I'm so What would you say fascinating? So yeah. fascinating. Um, yeah, so you ask someone a question and then when they tell you something in return, you say... That's fascinating. I've always wondered about this thing. <laughs> but in a much less monotone <laughs> way. Much more enthusiastic way. Do you know what I like, actually? When I'm talking to someone and they just, like, touch me on the arm. Oh, I do oh, like that. You don't like oh, I it. don't like that at all. No, I Not think that's like... really important. Really I've, no. I've started trying to do that to people and I find it makes them like you more. Yeah. Not at work, but in social settings, I do feel like it really makes people warm up to Yeah, it makes you feel more relaxed in their company. Yeah. Or if you want to disarm them, I'm trying to just like grab their neck. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm absolutely not okay with physical contact in that way. Nobody tried doing that to me. Well, from small talks on dates to dating apps, Belgravia based city worker Teresa Berkey is suing Elite Matchmaking Service 730 for £12,600 plus additional damages for not finding her someone to date since she first joined the agency back in 2014 for a year. After she signed up to their gold membership, which builds itself as an exclusive international matchmaking and introduction agency, the divorced mother of three said she wanted to find a, quotes, hopefully the man of my dreams, the father of my child. However, of the six men presented to her, none were deemed suitable by her, so now she wants a refund. Rosie, can you really sue a dating app? I mean, her experience just sounds like my last two weeks. Go <laughs> I mean, in fairness, if the membership was extremely expensive, which I'm guessing it is, seeing as it's a very elite app, and she didn't have a good time with it. I mean, I don't quite think it's just because she didn't meet the man of her dreams. I think apparently before she signed up, she was shown a number of men and heard about all these eligible bachelors that were there. They kind of gave her the big sell. And then when she actually joined... She said she wasn't put in touch with anyone that she showed interest in. So I think what she claims is they kind of sold to this membership under false pretenses. Maybe they had a kind of stockpile of men that weren't actually on the app. But she now, they're suing her back for £75,000. <laughs> for what um, reason? They've said that she posted a series of bad reviews calling the business a scam and it's deterred potential clients from signing up. So they put a libel case against her. So do you think that when you sign up to a dating agency, it's with the guarantee of finding love or do you think you're just kind of signing yourself up to a new pool of people I haven't signed up to any dating agency so I'm not sure I'm the best to comment but I would imagine you are signing up to open yourself up to new possibilities and meet new people but I don't know nothing's ever guaranteed you know even whether you're signed up or not even as you're kind of meeting people through friends or anything like that you can't ever guarantee you're going to find the love of your life so I'm not sure I think it places pretty high expectations on the agency as well yeah. like at the end of the day maybe she's a massive bitch and maybe no one likes her <laughs> exactly. you know? it's down to like her personal preference as well yeah. like she's shown these men and she's like actually oh, you know what then not my type yeah that's not their fault like don't be so picky yeah like Alex on Love Island he had all those chances that's true and he just blew it every time yeah it's no fault of Love Island it's the fault of you know him not matching to the people that are there that's or so their true. personality's not quite oh, matching it's like oh. someone suing Love Island yeah. for getting sun cream or not wearing sun cream that's probably <laughs> yeah. the big reason well this isn't the first time that dating app has been sued but sometimes it's for slightly more justifiable reasons in 2013 the US woman sued Match.com for 10 million dollars claiming the site misled her and failed to alert her to the dangers of online matchmaking after she was stabbed 10 times by her date 
to what extent do we expect these dating agencies to, you know, do background checks and to know what they're setting you up for? I think they should. I do think they have some responsibility. They're making so much money off these Mm. people and things have changed a lot. Anyone can just set up a profile. It's just not safe. I think that they should have background checks. I think they should verify people's identity so that when they set people up, they know who they actually are Mm because you can just make up a completely fake name, steal someone's Mm. photos and set up a profile and I think it's really irresponsible of these sites Mm. not to kind of take any ownership of that when they're meeting through your website. I read a stat like recently saying that sexual based crimes have gone up since the arrival of Tinder. So would it deter you hypothetically from using those kind of apps? I really don't want to use them. I'm recently single and I downloaded them but I haven't. I couldn't bring myself to go on them. It's just a sea of shit. <laughs> I feel like when Tinder Why? first like, came out, on it now. Yeah, because when it first came out, it was like, oh, Tinder. Like, what's this? I know lots of people that actually met their long-term boyfriends mm-hmm. through it. Mm-hmm. Now, well, from what I hear, you get a message and it's a dick pic, mm-hmm. or you get a message like, "Come get a taxi to my house," and mm-hmm. it's like, I. And if you don't reply, then they're just really horrible. To yeah. You. yeah, really. I just feel like it's turned into like three a.m. at a horrible club, mm-hmm. and it's like the drag of people trying desperately to have sex with each other. I imagine though for some people who maybe aren't so confident and aren't so social, perhaps it feels like a good opportunity for them to kind of be a bit more confident before meeting someone and it does open doors but I'm sure people also take advantage of that as well. I mean my thumbs can't take the scrolling. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before but I am recently engaged and I wrote a piece for the site about trying to decide what kind of wedding dress to go for. I compared it to shopping for a Barbie you know Barbie's got over 150 different careers and personalities but actually when it comes to buying a dress you have to pick just one which is something I find pretty stressful growing up did you have an idea of the kind of dress that you would have at no, a wedding I've never been that like I'm gonna be this kind of bride you, you made up some, I like the categories you made up what were they again yeah um, there's like glam bride boho bride you have to like commit to a whole look yeah, if you're somebody like bride. me who's I know what I like fashion-wise. I'm not like a pigeonhole. Like some days I'll look quite corporate or some days I'll go more boho. Like I like to play around with that a lot. So if you don't have that really defined, like I am this person, this style, yeah. and it's yeah. quite hard to commit. And have you tried any on yet? Not yet. It's coming. I know I'm not a big meringue kind of girl. Yeah. I'm not going for a big dress. And because the wedding's in Mallorca, I don't think that really fits. I yeah. think it needs to be something a bit more summery than Are that. Are you going to try one on though, just for fun? I don't think right. so. <gasps> really? not interested. Oh my God. I think I would have to. I want Really? I, I just want to go try all the man. I'm worried I'd get that carry thing. Oh, yeah. oh once she's stressed out. Stress, it really, yeah. does take quite a while to get in and out, right? Yeah, it does. I feel like I'm scared that if I put one on, then I would really want that yeah. shape. And that's not... <laughs> I just... No, no. With my fashion brain on, that is not what I want. I mean, the location obviously has a big bit to play, you know? Yeah. So exactly. you've got to think about that in terms of, like, the fabric yeah, and the shape. exactly. And... Would you do two, like, one day when you... Well, I won't do two in, like, a kind of Mariah Carey way and, like, change halfway through dinner. But I think at midnight, the adults will go home and there'll be more of a young person's party. I want something really naked at that point because, well, the aim is that I'll look the most banging I ever have by my wedding day. So I feel like that's a chance to flaunt it. So, yeah, I'll definitely be going for something, like, white and slushy post-midnight. <laughs> but before... I think I need something the opposite of that. Do you know what you would go for? I have no idea. And like you said, I have never been that girl that kind of growing up has been like, I know exactly what type of wedding I have, exactly what type of dress I'd have. I really don't know. 
I think it really depends on the location. You're right. Mm. I mean, if you're getting married in a big country house, you're going to wear something completely different mm. to if it's on like a beach or something. Mm. But I think with all those things, it still has to be you. I personally don't think I would change my style massively depending on where it was. So, totally. And also, I feel like I've got this never-ending list of things I don't want. Like, I know that I don't want. Yeah. But that's not that helpful in terms of knowing what I actually do want. No. I imagine it's very difficult to decide on what you're going to wear a year yeah. ahead. Also yeah. true. If I, if I look back at photos from a year ago, like, why did I wear that? Mm. So, yeah, committing to a dress that's like, you've got to think of so many things. It's got to be timeless, but it's also got to be, like, yeah. relevant as well. You don't want to really throw back. And do you feel there are a lot of people kind of telling you or advising you? Like, has your mum, your fiancé, have they got opinions <laughs> no. on does not care. No, and I'm deliberately only shopping with my mum for that reason. I don't need loads of people's too many, yeah, yeah, too many so yeah. Would she tell you if something looked bad? Definitely, but I think That's we good. also have slightly different opinions of what mm. I look good in or what makes you feel good. Yeah. That stresses me out on Say Yes to the Dress. When the bride loves it and she comes out and she's got this face, I'm like, it's mm-hmm. the one. And then the mum's like, nah, I really like that on you. I'd be like, and then she like cries and yeah. cries. And this <laughs> I feel like that would happen to me. I'd like find out my mum and be like, mm. and that's really hard. What do you do in that situation? Yeah. If I you don't love know. Your mom doesn't. Well, maybe then you call in some more recruits and see yeah. what other people think. I feel like going for what you feel good in is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Been, like, I never feel good in long sleeves, really. Mm-hmm. I feel much mm-hmm. better in, like, strappy things. I feel terrible in strapless things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think kind yeah. of going yeah. for a kind of shape that you feel amazing in yes. in day-to-day life is never going to age, even in a year. And yeah. shapes that you know suit you as well. So, like, I look so bad in a halter neck, like, so bad. So I would therefore <laughs> never... Even if it, I thought it looked okay, I would just know that I wouldn't like those photos, for example. So I would never go down that route. Pascal, do you know what you want when the time comes? I don't really want to get married. Okay. But if I was going to pick something, I think I'd go for something really glittery. <laughs> <laughs> like, gold. That's so not what I was expecting. I think I kept, that didn't come out how I meant it. <laughs> something like, like, gold and sequiny. If if I was going to get married, I just want to go to Vegas and do <laughs> like a proper. So amazing! <laughs> I now really want to see you get married. <laughs> I don't think I'd go for white. I just don't feel like it would suit me, and it's not very me. But what? yeah, something a bit sparkly. Maybe um, maybe red, something like that. Red. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Well, apparently, fifty nine percent of people in the UK do go for ivory. But 7.5 road test, 20 to 30 styles, and I really, really hope I'm not. Sorry, bracket. 59% go ivory. Yeah. That seems really no. small. Mm. So it's not white. Oh. Like, so ivory is different to white. So there was another stat of how many went for white. Oh, so that was something like 20 something, mm. and then the rest were in Pascal's <laughs> camp. <laughs> it was hard though. It's mm. like I went dress shopping with my friend who's getting married, and they all kind of look the same and different at the same time. Like <laughs> they're all one really, colour. Yeah. You want to go and try on like 30 black dresses. Yeah. And be like, wow, they're so different. How do mm. I commit? It's very hard to like yeah. separate them from each other. I agree. Well, watch this space. I will keep you posted. I'm going to start doing my wedding diaries for the site soon as well. So stay tuned for that. I think that's about all we've got time for today. If you like that, please do rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. And um, we'll see you next time.